You know, this started in 85 for me. And I owe everything to Bill Walsh because he took a chance. He saw this guy from Mississippi Valley State University and he believed in me. He gave me the opportunity to come here to San Francisco and you know, everything else is history, but I'd like to thank the fans. You guys have been so supportive. I'll never forget you guys. I'll never forget you guys. Welcome to this week's edition of the Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar Aparicio, and this week we stick with the year 2000 and look back to Jerry Rice's final home game in a 49ers uniform. It is a continuation of the Rewatch series. And with me this week to tell us why we should drink whenever someone says early days, it's David Newman. Don't do that. That sounds like a terrible idea. Do you want to make it? Excuse me. Do you even want to make it through like the entire episode? Yeah, it's so we started doing the drink. So we've created a mini drinking game for Love Island. For those that are uninitiated, we love the show Love Island. Um, I think it's it's the the most purest form of trashy television that's out there. It's fantastic. <laughs> it is everything that is good about uh, like Bachelor in Paradise without the terribleness of needing to be married at the end of the thing, uh, and all of the wonderfulness of Big Brother. The kind of everyday show that just shows people kind of having fun. In in the UK, it's one episode every day for like six weeks. So you're talking about like 50 plus episodes over the course of these six weeks, which is wonderful. It's the show we put on in the background when nothing is happening and you don't have to pay too much attention and it's awesome. But one of the slang terms that they use, uh, I don't even know if it's slang at this point, but they say it's early days. It's constantly early days. And every time they say early days, we drink. Because what do we do in Better Rivals households, David? We create drinking games around <laughs> things we love. That that would be like uh, drinking every time they say for the right reasons on The Bachelor. Bachelor. Which like, I've done. I mean, that's a bad idea. That's not one of that's not a good drinking game rule because Define then you, bad. you don't you finish the game early. That's all I'm saying. Yeah, it's look, it's a marathon, not a sprint. I get that. And there's a lot of episodes. But so far hasn't steered me astray. Love Island is amazing. And we, we get to watch the UK ones before the Hulu ones because I have a friend who's got a Plex server. And he, look, if he's going to break the law, I'm not going to stop him. But he'd be downloading episodes. And so we get to watch them basically the day they come out in the UK. And it's been fan-fucking-tastic. I love it. We're, look, we're slowly morphing into an all-UK household between the soccer and the, the Love Island yeah, no, I guess you start. should have clarified that that this is the UK because ver- there are now there's an American version of Love Island, there's an Australian version, um, neither of which are remotely as good. The as, American as version the is terrible because Americans, like, it, it Americans are terrible. Americans are terrible. It reifies the 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 real difference between Americans and those in the UK. And look, especially after all of the shit at Wembley during the Euro 2020 final, like. I don't think anyone comes out clear in terms of the purity of a population, but the, or like the goodness of a population, I should say. I think purity in that context may be misconstrued. Uh, but I think that no one comes out real looking rosy at the end of it. But sure. I mean, it's just it, there's a difference in terms of how each population approaches relationships. 
and I just kind of appreciate the UK version a bit more. I should clarify, yeah, the the uh, the way that, or I guess Americans that would go on reality television looking for love are terrible. You're telling me that love at first sight isn't the cream of the crop of relationship getting? <laughs> uh, yeah, man, I know that that for you know me and my wife, it was you know what after having only forty minutes of conversation with them, I was ready to get married. Like, yeah. which is basically what you get on The Bachelor. Like, it's I was absurd. I was there. I timed it. Uh, yeah. It was it was great. It was, it was like a 40 time. It was really <laughs> what it was. It was definitely <laughs> hand timed. <laughs> Whoa, easy, buddy. This is, this is a kid's show. There may be kids listening. We're a family friendly podcast at this point. We've got daughters, David. Daughters. They don't listen Simmer to this podcast. Um, all right. Fred Warner. Good news. He's now going to be a Niner through 2026. He signed a five-year extension. We didn't have to do an emergency podcast because the Niners timed up the release of that information with the Better Rivals podcast release schedule. They knew. Prague Marate knows. He's like, you know what? Do you solid. Not going to have you do extra pot, extra work. Fold it in just like Moira Rose's cheese into this episode. Signs a five-year extension. Ties him to San Francisco through 2026. The deal is for more than $95 million with $40.5 million in guarantees. Now, as usual, always look at the structure. It does make him the highest paid linebacker in the NFL. His average contract value per year eclipses $19 million per year. But as usual, you should be well-versed, especially if you're listening to this podcast. Things to watch out for. The money that he's going to earn in the likely-to-be-earned seasons, which we're generally deeming as three years. How much money is he going to make there? Two, are there any ripcords? What are the guaranteed money date triggers? Is there any year where the Niners have to make a clear decision because his salary balloons and they can get out of paying that money by cutting him ahead of a new league year or sometime in April? And then three, are there any voidable years? Are there any years at the very end of the deal that he's not likely to see because really the only reason they were tacked on there is to inflate the total cost of the contract so he can look good amongst his friends at the barbershop or just to get kind of more years so they can amortize a signing bonus that then ends up becoming dead money, but they're okay with that because the cap has risen and they can absorb it. So David, are there any of those features in Fred Warner's contract? Yeah, so I think in terms of the guarantees, you know, starting there, like the the 40 and a half million in, in guarantees, he is... Uh, and incredibly likely to see all of that money. Um, basically, the only scenario in which he wouldn't see that full um, figure is, is if they decided to cut him after one year into the deal, which uh, I, I think we can all assume uh, is a very unlikely scenario. So in, in terms of the guarantees, yeah, there's not a lot of tricky stuff going on there. Um, it, it is interesting, though. This is at least the first 49ers like contract extension is, since we've been doing this that I can remember that has this sort of feature. So they have, uh, you know, the, the 2025 and 2026 seasons on here are voidable, which typically uh, is going to mention there like the, the, the only purpose of voidable years are to spread the signing bonus out. Right. That That is the only purpose. Like those are not actual um, years that a player would be under contract for. So. Typically, as if you would see those final two years being voidable in, in the way we've seen them structure contracts before, right? 2024 is really would be the final year that he is actually under contract. And then as soon as that season's completed, the final two years void out and he would be, you know, hit the open market if they didn't reach some sort of extension prior to that. Um, the, the interesting thing about Warner's contract is they actually have a buyback. 
So they can they can essentially rescind the void during that 2024 season. They can basically say like, hey, things are going well. We, we still want to be in this uh, this relationship here. We're going to give you an additional bonus. Uh, of $3.6 million, and, and we're going to actually change those final two years into actual years on the contract. So you'll be under contract as a 49er. So they, they can exercise that during the 20, I forget the exact timing of it, but it's at some point during the 2024 season there, like early in that league year. Um, and, and that's really, I, I think, an interesting thing for Warner. I think it's a very good, like a pro player addition to that contract because if you think about it from warner's perspective right like he uh if he was entering free agency again or hitting hitting the open market after that 2024 season he's only 28 like there there's a very good chance that he's still playing well one of the best linebackers in the league and and he would be ready to cash in on another payday that puts him again maybe you know the the top paid linebacker in the league uh again at that time right after several seasons so um, I, I think the, the idea that the 49ers can potentially be like, you know, that he, he was able to, to get it, this worked into where like, Hey, if you want to actually keep me for an extra couple of years without negotiating a new extension, like you have to give me another bonus. You have to toss in something extra for me here, which is pretty great. I think all around, because it means that, and, and when you think about the end of that contract, that's going to be 2026, that's going to be his age 30 season in context. That's not super duper old. Patrick Willis retired in 2015. That was his age 30 season. And everyone thought like, yeah, he maybe have been on the, on the downswing of his career, but he certainly wasn't out of it entirely. He certainly wasn't someone that necessarily was going to be bad that you cut or whatever. He still was going to be one of the best linebackers in the league. So it could be for another, you know, and those last two seasons are, are Warner's age 29 and age 30 season. So the likelihood of him being very good, if he's able to continue this outside of some kind of, you know, Navarro Bowman-esque catastrophic injury is pretty good. So all in all, it seems like if the Niners do keep him for that, unless they renegotiate some kind of new contract, Warner gets another three, $4 million just for continuing to be good, uh, which is great. That's, that's, some, that's some big brain energy right there. It's also a new feature. When you think of the Niners contracts, the Niners contracts are the things that agents and other teams look for, for unique ways of getting things done. This may be one of those things, like voidable years, um, those date triggers. Are, the, the Niners are notorious for those date triggers, uh, those rip cords, as we call them, where it's like, oh, we're only going to pay you year by year. It's the reason the Niners could get out of Colin Kaepernick's contract without paying a whole hell of a lot of money, despite making him uh, seemingly a, a highly paid quarterback. Um, the Niners are really a model for how teams can go about getting their contracts done creatively. Um, it is Parag Marate. It's the Niners really contracting an organization that's doing very well. This is another interesting thing that the Niners have done. Now, the Niners did this contract kind of a week before a lot of people expected them to do it. George Kittle didn't sign his deal until really like the day of training camp. And there's still a week to go until training camp. And this is a week early. And it really behooved the 49ers to do this deal early because there are other linebackers that are likely going to get paid. And as things go, it's basically the next deal is going to trump the one before it. And I think Darius Leonard is looking at this deal and he's thinking like, <laughs> cool, 19 million a year. I want 20. Yep. Right? And, and it's, it's all just timing, right? If Darius Leonard were to have gotten his deal now, now Fred Warner's like, hey, Niners, hold on. I want 20 million instead of 19. And it drags on a little bit longer and things go on. 
by getting it done early, now the next contract's going to be larger. And with every linebacker that signs after this, the Niners are seemingly getting more and more of a bargain. Right. And, and that's why I mentioned, like, you know, he's, yes, he's the highest paid linebacker now. But at the time, you know, that that, that contract would be, uh, you know, entering the the final stages of it in 2024 there, like, that that number is is in all likelihood going to be, you know, not anywhere close to the top. Like, um, you know, he's probably still a, a top 10 contract or something like that for the position. But like, yeah, like you mentioned, it's it's all comes down to timing. And, and there I think there are a, a lot of pretty good young linebackers right now. And, um, you know, each one of those guys that come up and, and hit the open market and, and are either, you know, due for that extension or, or get a free agent contract like they're going to just continue to reset that number because that's how it works. Yeah, and this isn't even, I think, the most guaranteed money for a linebacker. Um, I, I think that there's actually a linebacker that has a bit more money. I'm uh, I'm vamping right now to look it up. I don't uh, think what, Wagner was the previous guy that, that had the had most guaranteed. He had a I higher, think. Uh, I think, average year. But I think in terms of guaranteed money, I think that $40 million, I think C.J. Mosley, I did that from memory. I didn't look it up. David, research department, look it up. I think CJ Mosley yep. actually has more guaranteed money, even though his average per year isn't as high. That's, uh, that's yeah, my C- final CJ Mosley, 43 million in guaranteed is what it is. Yeah, uh, shows look at that. Yep. The old brain still works. Look at that. It's it's early days for the Alzheimer's. <laughs> it's early days. Got a drink. Um, but <laughs> and that's by the... So, so in like, in, if you happen to go to over the cap and you look at this, so Fred Warner is actually listed. So you know there's there's the difference between basically fully guaranteed and total guaranteed fully guaranteed is the absolutely no matter what he is seeing this money like there is no uh, however unlikely there's no scenario out there that he's not going to get that money and so fred warner's fully guaranteed is only 27 and a half um but again like mentioned kind of at the top of all this his total guarantee is 40 and a half million. And, and that's because, you know, there's uh, another amount there that triggers um, as long as he's not cut a year into that new deal. Right. So that's the only very unlikely uh, scenario that would, would have him not seeing the rest of that money. Which is why the better rivals patent pending likely to be your number, uh, which we should we should stamp with some kind of better rival stamp of approval at this point. Uh, his his likely to be earned guaranteed money is over 40 million. Now, David, we've been um, not huge fans of signing off-ball linebackers to big-money contracts. If you're a long-time listener at this point, you might be thinking to yourself, guys, a little hypocritical. You guys are going to sit here and say, Quan Alexander, not a good money signing because he's an off-ball linebacker. Don't pay off-ball linebackers. They're basically the running backs of defense. And yet here we are extolling the virtues of Fred Warner and talking about how this is likely a good signing. I would do it. I think the Niners did a good job. He's centerpiece of the defense. How do you reconcile those two things, David? Juan Alexander isn't good at football, and Fred Warner is. <laughs> I mean, I think that that's basically the simplest version of of yeah. The answer, like, like I look, would go one step further, and I would say that if you're going to pay an off-ball linebacker, that off-ball linebacker better impact the passing game, which is the most valuable part of football, and that's exactly what Fred Warner does. Like, he's a good run stopper, sure, but I don't think he's going to hang his hat on the run stopping ability that, say, Patrick Willis or even Navarro Bowman brought to the table. He he is an elite coverage linebacker, and that's why if you're going to pay up for someone at the linebacker spot, it's going to be someone like Fred Warner. I mean, the guy, he is a linebacker that is built to stop what offenses in the modern game, in today's game, are going to throw at him. 
Yeah, I, I think it comes down to uh, when when you separate them, like when you, you take the positions, right, the linebacker, safety, like all of those kind of more coverage-oriented positions, and, and you kind of split them a little bit more. We've used this designation, right, as, as like more of an interior pass defender, and then you have your outside pass defenders, right, your outside cornerbacks, uh, essentially. And um, with the way that so many offenses now are attacking defenses they're they're really focused on the middle of the field and so while yes most linebackers are not worth paying right like like it isn't a a position where you should be going out of your way to spend top end dollars you shouldn't be giving top end uh, money to you know otherwise mediocre players right it's the Quan Alexander um, type of scenario where he hadn't really done anything to show him like yeah he wasn't always you know like he, there there was talent there and there were things to believe like reasons to believe that he wouldn't be like terrible or anything right but he but he hadn't shown that elite level ability um, and they paid him you know like a top of the the market type of player and, and so like that's the type of mistake at this position that you don't want to make like it isn't um, a, a position where it's like cornerback or whether it's receiver or you know where, where you kind of just want to put a, you want to invest a lot of money and resources into that position because it's important to be good there and have multiple good players like linebacker isn't really the same way right we've seen um, that you can get quality linebacking play from uh, you know picks that are later in the draft I mean look at Fred Warner being a third rounder Darius Leonard was a second rounder um, you know Dre Greenlaw obviously being in the fifth round so like you can get production there um, but when you get a guy like Warner that that becomes when you group again those interior pass defenders, not only just one of the best coverage linebackers, but the best one of the best coverage players in that whole interior of the defense, like that is a very valuable piece, right? If you have a guy that can take away some of those routes and uh, you know the players that they're trying to send into the middle of the field, there uh, it, it's really big for your defense. And I think we've seen you know especially last season um, how good he can be at doing doing that type of thing. And, and so, yeah, I, I think it's, it's like, if you have, he is the exception, right? He, if you have one of those outlier type players, you do what you need to do to keep them on your roster and keep them on your team. Right. Um, yeah. and, and you don't use that as an example and a reason to pay another linebacker who isn't that good. I think when you look at Fred Warner and you look at his production as a pass coverage kind of line as a coverage linebacker you look at his pff coverage grade he's been over 90 in that elite level over two years you look at next gen stats who created a kind of uh, completion percentage above or, uh, or below expectation and fred warner is basically allowing 16 percent uh you know worse completion percentage than you would expect which means that he's doing a better job as a coverage linebacker than than a lot of other players at his same position you look at his passer rating allowed Last year alone, his passer rating allowed was 81.9, uh, and, and that is third or fourth best when you're looking. And he's in the realm of like Roquan Smith, who was a first rounder, Eric Kendricks, Eric Wilson, all players who have had over 500 coverage snaps, um, except for Kendricks, actually. Kendricks had like just about 400. Um, and, and he is uh, doing a very, very good job in coverage. Because, and I think you mentioned it, David, when you're looking at the way that offenses attack defenses, I mean, this is what Kyle Shanahan does. He's going to attack your linebackers. Because they are they are worse at coverage than your cornerbacks and your safeties. And so why am I going to go ahead and attack the guys that are good at this, who get paid money to do this? I'm going to go ahead and attack the guy who's, who's basically getting paid to stop the run. And I'm going to hit him with the tight end. I'm going to hit him with a short split. I'm going to hit him with a crosser. And that is a lot of what modern offenses do. 
And when you have a quarterback who can carry a crosser, who can turn and look and find work, who is basically never in the wrong spot, especially in the zone scheme that the Niners love to run, yeah, you absolutely pay him. You pay him because he is a linebacker that affects the way the game is played now as an interior coverage defender. Um, and it makes a ton of sense. I think it's awesome. I love that Fred Warner is going to be on the team for the next five years. And we even, uh, you know, blessed his signing by putting him on the wallpapers for the better rivals. Uh, this year, Josie, he is one of the two, the two players that we picked. It's Fred Warner and Trey Lance at this point. Uh, the saviors of offense and defense are, are going to make their appearance on the better rivals wallpaper. So yeah, you know what? All, all things are coming up positive for, uh, for what Mr. Fred Warner. All right, but let's get to the rewatch. We're sticking with the 2000 season. We're going to go with a week 16 game. Jerry Rice's farewell game. It was his 16th season with the 49ers, and many thought this would be the end of his career. Jerry Rice said, no, I've got more years in me. Um, he, I, I love the stat with him. He, he had over 1,000 yards with the Raiders, I think, the, the year after, the second year that he was there. And he had, he's had more years or he has he's had more yards receiving yards after age 40 than like basically anyone else who's played after 40 combined yeah it's, i mean he went he, so like after this season right like he went in his he, he was uh 39 in his first season at oakland and then for, hit 40 during that second year which i think was the one that they went to the super bowl is that right and lost to tampa bay um in, in 2002 but yeah he had uh you know 1100 yards 1139 in that first season with oakland over 1200 in the second season um pretty wild um and then yeah still had a, i mean even as a 41 year old right in in that 20 uh 2003 season um nearly 900 yards like it's it's wild it's ridiculous and so this is the season this this was the year that we thought we would look at because it was a lot of fun we, we broke down the terrell owens star game last week and this week, we thought we'd go to uh, another game that featured Terrell Owens really, really prominently because while it was Jerry Rice's farewell game, and man, the Fox broadcast crew was all about Jerry Rice. They had all the tidbits. They had all the montages. They had all the things set up and ready to go. And instead, Terrell Owens ends up breaking the single-game receiving record, the 49ers receiving record, and the 49ers total yardage record for a wide receiver in one game. And, man, I remember watching this game and thinking to myself, whew, it's great for Owens. Sucks for Rice. Um, and in my memory, I actually didn't... I, I thought Rice only caught, like, two passes. Um, he caught more than two passes. They they were force-feeding him the oh. ball heavily. It was especially late, like after Owens, you know, you could see Rice getting getting visibly frustrated at points um, with how often Owens was getting the ball. And, and so once you got beyond like, you know, catch 15, 16, 17 for Owens, like they were just going out of their way to like try and get anything to Rice that they could. And it was kind of hilarious. There, I mean, there was one play where where they they roll out a little bit and they're trying to get him just like an easy first down catch in the flat and Garcia throws it gets tipped and Rice has to try to like dive and bring it in one hand I think he catches it but he like loses a yard and like he just gets up and he's like laughing because it's like it's clear they're trying to do whatever they can to get him the ball and just every time they're trying to it, it's not something's going wrong overall the game was um was not 
great. Like we'll, we'll get to our takeaways in a minute, but this game was a game that did not feature um, really two teams that should have been in the NFL in their current construction. The Bears were rough. Very, very rough. So this game ends up as a shutout for the Niners defense, which was a far cry from the first game that we broke down because early on in the season, the Niners defense was their bugaboo. It was the thing that was like, oh man, their defense is terrible. They started five rookies on their defense in the game that we talked about against Dallas. That The offense was great. The offense was breaking records and they were moving the ball with Garcia. They had Owens, they had Rice, they had Garner, but it was the defense that was a problem. Well, now the defense is, is basically pitching a shutout and while that is due in part to some personnel changes and you know just some good play along the the especially the the front seven really though it was a lot of the bears offense sucking it was yeah. not great it was terrible um and overall i think you know if we get to the the takeaways for the game my first one is that this game was kind of boring it was it was very very boring and it had a lot to do with the bears offense because it was you're really watching one team. You're watching the Niners do seemingly whatever they wanted to do on offense, and the Bears were just kind of there. Yeah, and as a 49ers fan, I'm trying to go watch a, a 20 year old game. That's exactly what I'm looking for. If it's not going to be like some high scoring, you know, shootout type of, of situation, like yeah, it was. Uh, I mean, it was definitely more lopsided than I remember. I mean, granted, I was like. 13 when this game uh happened initially so memory's not exactly the best uh on it there but yeah it was it was very one-sided and the 49ers just like dominated both sides the the bears offense though was was just horrendous um i mean i think it felt like 90 percent of their pass plays were either um boot plays with a quick pass to the flat or screen uh, bubble screen yeah bubble screen tunnel screen which they ran rep- repeatedly or runs yeah oh, oh yeah i mean they ran heavily there there was like a graphic it, it that popped up at some point where um they had like basically switched because i mean it was clear this was very much the era of um you know bears just having horrendous offenses every single year right um, are we out of that era fair point um <laughs> It is, it is, I guess, maybe continued for most of their existence after. Justin Fields know, like may have a word, here. but yeah. yeah, up until now, I feel like it's it's pretty much been defense and no offense since, I don't know, ever. Yeah. Uh, I mean, solid, solid point. But yeah, it was, I, I feel like, especially bad during this time. And I mean, you have fucking McNown, excuse me, not McCown adjacent, uh, as I said before the pod. Um yeah, it, like they they just wouldn't throw the ball downfield at all. It was a lot of runs. Oh yeah, and then the graphic that they had how they basically decided to switch. Like the the first like 13 games of the season or something, they've been very pass heavy, which you would expect from a team who isn't very good. Um and then suddenly like just the week prior to this game, they decided to switch and they ran the ball like almost 40 times um the the week before. And so they were trying to kind of continue that in, in this game a bit, but when they did throw the ball, yeah, I mean, it was just a lot of stuff that was really short near the line of scrimmage. I mean, I don't know that, uh, that McNown attempted a pass beyond like 15 yards in the air until late in the fourth quarter when, when they were just started like chucking stuff up kind of towards the end. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, awful to watch that offense. Well, their offense, their offensive coordinator in this game was John shoot. And he was the quarterback's coach. He was promoted offensive coordinator and that was because their actual offensive coordinator left to become the head coach at BYU. So he comes in, and and I love 
John Madden. This this is really my second takeaway is that that John Madden is amazing and he was amazing in this game. And the Niners weren't going to get a lot of the top tier Fox broadcasters just simply because they were at this point a, you know, five and 10 or five and nine team. You know, they, they were coming into this game, I think, with four wins. This was their fifth win. And then they went in week 17, which got them to six wins over the course of the year. But they were not going to get Madden and Summerall just about on any game. And so this big, but because it was Jerry Rice's last game, they got the number one crew. And so I'm listening to John Madden and John Madden says that John Shoup tried to uh, reduce the, 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 this was the offense minus any ambiguity because they had a lot of option routes and apparently that was confusing players. And so you want to make it more simple. You want to reduce ambiguity. And this was their offense with, without ambiguity. And Summerall just comes in with the, well, maybe they should add in the ambiguity. <laughs> it just like just destroys the offense on the broadcast. And it's like, you know what, Pat Summerall? Yeah. You know, you're, you've reached that like Tom Brady old age where you just don't give a fuck and you can say whatever you want. And this is trash offense. And you've made it very clear. I don't know what the best part of that. Did you just uh, call Pat Summer, Summerall at this point fucking Tom Brady old? Yeah, in in terms because of their careers, Summerall at this point is like at least thirty years older than than Tom. But Brady in terms of the stages of their career, that's exactly where they're at. The fact that Tom Brady is able to win a Super Bowl, we're over here talking about how Jerry Rice has like a ridiculous amount of yards after forty, and it's like, yeah, we're all waiting for the time that Tom Brady's going to fall off the cliff. We've been doing it for the last two or three years. He basically yeah, is like. Man. That in that stage of his career where Pat Summerall was at this point. Pat Summerall had several instances in this game where he was just like, I don't know if what I said is actually right, but whatever. And then John Madden just keeps talking. Like, th- th- this was not Pat Sum- This was not peak Pat Summerall, but it was just <laughs> late stage Pat Summerall. Before we got the, the switch to Al Michaels. Yeah, I mean, it was weird um, getting that, you know, for basically two four-win teams at this point. Like, yeah, not exactly like a high profile billing if it, if it wasn't for rice but yeah i think like and then you know i i think looking at the other side of the ball like looking at the 49ers offense which was obviously um much better in this game than the bears offense was but it was very different than than the cowboys game i mean we talked about in in that one right how uh it was a lot of charlie gardner and and he was just ripping off big run after big run and and he put up a ton of yards on the ground and really the passing game was kind of iffy. You know, they had a few plays here and there, like they hit that deep post shot to Rice for the touchdown, and there were, you know, some some spots that they were able to have some success in, but it overall, like, wasn't very good. wasn't a very good game from Jeff Garcia, and in this one, it was like, the complete opposite, right? Like, um, Garner had a 13-yard run, I think it was, on the opening drive of the game, and then had 13 carries after that that went for 30 yards. Like, just constantly getting stuffed. Um, and, and I think that even includes like another, he had like another almost like nine, 10 yard run kind of later in the fourth quarter too. So it was just a lot of runs getting stuffed at the line of scrimmage, um, or, or losing yardage. And and so they really did rely a lot more on the passing game. They dropped back a lot more. And, and I thought Garcia was a lot better in this game from an accuracy standpoint. I mean, had, 
some really nice throws down like the right sideline to both Owens and Rice actually like hit Rice they hit that cover two hole. I was going to say right it was the cover line. two hole. That's yeah. all it was. It's like the, the Bears coverage, what basically what they screwed up several times was one playing cover two at all because Garcia ate that shit up. And it was, I don't know if it was an option route or what, but it always seemed like he knew it was cover two. He was going to throw it to that hole and he did it a few times to Owens, one of them on the touchdown. Um, oh no, the touchdown no, was not the other the touch- issue. The the, no, the the play before the touchdown, I think. Yeah, and then the touchdown was the other issue was that they played a ton of man. They played a lot of cover one and a lot of man, and it's like, yeah, I think Owens is going to be able to beat that no problem. And Garcia had no issue consistently throwing it to Owens in man coverage because Terrell Owens is a fucking beast and he's going to destroy people in man coverage. Yeah, I mean, he pretty much just yeah. I mean, on on the the drive that ended up in Owens touchdown, which was like in the third quarter. Um, yeah, the, the, it was two straight plays basically on, on a vertical route up the right sideline to Owens. And like, yeah, one of them was in that cover two hole. Another one, the next one they go in, in, it looks like, yeah, some sort of man coverage. At least that that corner is basically manned up with, uh, with Owens from what we can see on the replay. And, and yeah, it just like basically runs right by him. And so, yeah, they, they had some success there and he had some other nice throws too. like had a couple of, uh, you know, crossers to Owens that were really good. Um, the thing, uh, that still drives me absolutely crazy about Jeff Garcia. Well, two things, one that that's less important, but just kind of more annoying to watch. He throws an ugly ball. Like, yeah. His ball like flutters. I mean, there was at one point it like looked like it was it was rotating sideways. I'm like, what the fuck is that? <laughs> um, but obviously, if it gets where Dude, it's going, it's just the like, it's just the Canadian the Canadian English. You know, but he puts a little Canadian English on the ball. Yeah, I mean, look, whatever. If, if it gets to where it needs to be, I don't care. Um, but the other thing is like watching that guy move around in the pocket is so oh, fucking the, annoying. The step ups into the rush. Drove me crazy. Like he he is incapable of like sitting and being calm in the pocket. Like so he just fucking he gets to the top of his drop and he just spazzes out and he just starts like bouncing all the fuck around the place and uh and, and yeah a lot of times it's like he'll have this perfectly clean pocket and he'll just like jump up right into the rush and and like end up getting hit or something like that and have to do a stupid ass jump pass. Like oh man that that drove me crazy in this game. He so did it's, it so, it's so much. funny because John Madden, the, the reason John Madden is such a good announcer and, and is one of the greats of all time is because he, he does the thing, which is very difficult, which he takes a very complex thing that he's seeing. He processes it quickly and communicates it in a way that the viewer can understand. And, and not a lot of people can do that really, really well. And he actually mentioned that specific thing about Garcia on the broadcast. He talked about something that even we've talked about in the past, which is sometimes the quarterback makes the offensive line jobs harder by not being where he's supposed to be. And he specifically talked about Jeff Garcia moving up in the pocket and moving up into the rush and and ultimately creating a sack for himself where one need not be. He talked about staying in the pocket and staying where you're supposed to be. I you know, would have never... I, I, that comment would have washed over me as a young as a young human watching that game. And now I watch that game and I listen to John Madden. And I'm like, yeah, fuck yeah, John Madden. You're goddamn right. Like, that's some advanced notes right there. That's good shit. Like, that's awesome. Yeah. And and yeah, and it's just you. He was always giving you those kinds of because he did. He talked about the cover two hole. He talked about all that stuff. And it's just like he's able to just see it 
process it and talk about it in a way that didn't make it seem like it was super complex, even though ultimately he's telling you exactly what's happening. Like it, 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 John Madden's awesome. Love oh, it. yeah, dude. Madden's the best. I, I mean, before, you know, he became something of a, a caricature kind of late in his career, like dude had years and years where he was just the, the the fucking goat like he yeah i mean he made it like you said he took these complex things and he just made it fun entertaining like explain them in a very simple way um and yeah like he was awesome I, I would love just to go back and continue watching like great john madden games just for that yeah so in the last podcast i talked about how the 49ers offense was fun it was inventive it, it seemed almost modern in a way in the way that it kind of a, a approached and attacked some coverages and and I think that was even more apparent in this game with some of the stuff that they did. Part of it was because they had some plays specifically designed for Rice. So they had some gadget stuff that they pulled out. But you look at them splitting out a halfback. You, you look at them running that kind of um, double move drag to Jerry Rice, which they did twice in the red zone. Uh, one of which got him blown the fuck up, by the way, um, and caused a fumble. It, oh. Like he was trying for that touchdown. Oh, he was trying so hard. Like dude should have went down. Um, definitely would have been in that concussion protocol if that yeah. happened today. And, and they did it twice in in the red area. And it was it was just. Uh, I mean, the Niners are running drags all the time at this point. Slants and drags is is a staple of the West Coast offense. And so you're looking at teams that are really ready for that. And so he runs kind of this double move drag, and it works both times. And and he's not able to get a touchdown either time. But they ran another play where Jerry Rice is lined up basically as a, like almost an H-back. And they run a play where he runs in motion across the line and and honestly should have caught a touchdown. Jeff Garcia puts it in his hands. This is early in the first quarter. And and that's it's a really intricate, fun play-action pass that's designed to go to Rice. I mean, the Niners are really running a fun offense with a lot of personnel variations you see a lot of three wide receiver four wide receiver unbalanced formations and and it's it really is like fun and inventive as an offense and and in in the post game that they showed some of, the, of jerry rice's post game speech and he talked about how the niners team like this version of the niners team is going to get better and they're really good and sure enough 2001 they go 12 and 4 and lose in the wild card game to green bay and then in 2002, they go 10 and 6 and end up losing in the divisional game to the eventual champions, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, but end up having that wild comeback against the New York Giants, which I think we did a rewatch episode of a couple years ago. Um, so this, this is really like a team that is ascending, even though they ended this season 6 and 10. This offense is the thing that powered them to two playoff runs. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I feel like I forgot to mention this during last week's episode but about the season. But basically, if you go back and look at their um, point differential for losing seasons or like seasons where they had, uh, I think, actually like less than seven wins, because a lot of times when you get seven and nine, you know, the between seven and nine wins, the the point differential over the course season is, is going to look very similar um, a lot of the time. So if you go any of the seasons where they had six or fewer wins, um, the only season where they had a better point differential than this season in 2000 was actually last year in 2020 um, was, was the only season that they oh, had. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Fucking research department coming in hot. Man. And so, yeah, I mean, this was like a, a team that definitely even this year, right, in, in all the like defensive struggles, because by all accounts, I mean, the, the defense was in rough shape. I mean, they had a, they had a couple interesting pieces there. I mean, Bryant Young, obviously still there. Um, Julian Peterson there. 
but they were, you know, they, they had a lot of work to do. And I, I think you look at most of the numbers for how they performed in that season and it was, it was pretty ugly all around, but um, definitely once they started to get a little better on that side of the ball, the offense was there, right? Like they, they had weapons um, to, to go to. I mean, Garcia was obviously good enough and, and put up some good numbers there for a few seasons. And so, yeah, I think you, you saw some fun things in, in this game. Absolutely. There was one, uh, too, like one that caught my eye in terms of a, a design thing. And it's funny how defenses back at this point still just like really struggled to react to anything unusual. Um, and so there was a point, uh, it was a fourth down, I think, in the second half, fourth and one. And so they had initially, or this might have even been at the end of the first half because there was a two-minute warning. Yeah, I think it was right at the end of the second quarter. So they they line up like they're going to go for it right before the two-minute warning. They end up letting the two-minute warning hit, go and act like they're going to come back and punt again is kind of what you would assume based on how most things went at this point. But they actually bring the offense back on. And what they end up doing is they set, they go empty. They set four to the right side, including both Rice and Owens. They get them kind of stacked over here on the right side. And then they split a running back as the lone guy out left. Uh, it was Garner, I'm pretty sure. And and so like the Bears are just like looking around, like they're trying to get in. Uh, it looks like they were in some sort of man coverage and they're like scrambling to get around, like to adjust to this four by one set. Like they just have no fucking clue what's going on. And they end up getting like a quick snap and throwing it to Gardner before a defender can even get over there and cover him. So like, yeah, they, they were just doing little things like that, right? In terms of how they, because uh, we mentioned this during, you know, last week during the Cowboys game, like things that they're doing formationally with motions, like to, to give themselves an advantage that um, very much you see teams do a lot more of now. But but it's it's something that is more commonplace, I think, in today's game. And what's funny is that was the second time they had done that. Because Madden actually mentions this on the broadcast, but they they did something similar once before with Garner out there by himself, and then Garcia missed it. And so they went back on fourth down and did something similar, and this time Garcia went straight out while the linebacker is trying to run out to Garner, and Garner just picks up a couple of yards, and, and off you go. It's, it's now a new set of downs. It's really, really great. Um, one of the things that John Madden mentioned in the broadcast was about having a Jerry Rice rule like the bird rule in the NBA. And if you're not familiar with the NBA bird rights or bird rule, basically it gives the team that a player has been with for, I think like four or more years or something like that, or maybe it's the team that that drafted them, um, special concessions about how much money they can offer the team. And And effectively it is to incentivize a player to stay with a team that they've been with for a long time or that drafted them. So oftentimes in the NBA you'll hear about bird rights and, and it's basically a way to keep players that have been parts of your foundation and parts of your team for a long, long time. It's basically and, just to clarify really quick. So it's it's on the same team for three consecutive seasons. So it's just been right. three straight years without leaving in free agency with that one team. So I was I was I was zealous when I said four, but yes, three years. And and ultimately that is what what John Madden was lamenting. He was lamenting the fact that the Niners couldn't keep Jerry Rice. And if maybe the NFL had something like a bird rule, then maybe you would have a Tom Brady still be a Patriot. You would have Jerry Rice still be a Niner, or maybe Joe Montana still be a Niner. I don't think, given Bill Walsh's predisposition for cutting players a year too early, that Rice or Montana would have remained 49ers, or Ronnie Lott, or Roger Craig, for that matter. But 
Do you think there should be a rule like that in the NFL for players? I mean, I think it's interesting because, uh, you know, if, if they, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but I, I, right in the NBA, it allows them to basically pay them more money, right. Than any other team. Yeah. Can, they don't get a concession on the salary cap. What it allows them to do is it allows them to put together a better offer. So Steph Curry, for example, would have made more money staying with golden state than he would going to another team simply because they have his bird rights. They can give him, you know, 20, 30, whatever million more. And so if it is about money, then the team that drafted you or the team that you've been with for three years can pay you more. But the Warriors don't end up getting any, you know, kind of salary cap relief. Yeah, I, I think it would be interesting if they did something that that didn't count against the cap as much. And maybe you limit the number of players that you can do. So maybe you can only designate, I don't know, two or three players or something like that, that that you can give this extra bonus to. But yeah, you have essentially the ability to offer them more money that doesn't count against your cap. Um, That I think would be interesting. Well, so what I'm thinking is a redefinition of what the franchise player means. So to me, I think, so to me, what I would do is I would say like, fuck this whole one year, no security franchise player. The franchise player is the player where we've drafted them uh, or they've been with the team for four or more years. Cause I feel like four years is really the tipping point for the NFL. And, and now at this point, you know, you're able to take, you know, maybe 10%, 15%, whatever of those dollars pay that player but not have it count against your cap. Um, that I think would be interesting because now you're able to keep a player that you draft or hit successfully on and pay them extra money, but not have that go up against your cap. And I feel like that rewards almost good drafting, good talent scouting, something I think it would put more, um, it, would, it would make draft picks more valuable. Um, which is why I think maybe you have to limit it to three or four years because that way some free agents could also um, reap those benefits as well. But absolutely, I think that would be, I think that would be a, a better definition or redefinition of what the franchise player should be as opposed to just basically screwing a player out of security and being able to keep them for whatever. Yeah, I think something like that replacing the franchise tag is a really good idea because it does, you know, it obviously seems a bit more player friendly because they can get more compensation than they would be able yeah. to other places. It, it is funny that like, I think when you when you think about it through the lens of like, how would this look with the team that I'm a fan of being able to do it right? Like, and, and so like talking about Rice in this case, right? Like, obviously, any rule that allows my favorite team to keep my favorite player on that team uh, there longer, like, seems great. It, it is more interesting, I think, when you think about it from the league as a whole, because one of the interesting things when you're, um, you know, kind of a, a non-biased party, right, and you're just looking at, at movement around the league, and you see some of that player movement. And so, yeah, I think, like, on one hand, obviously, it's it's very cool when you have players that that spend their entire career with one franchise and, and are kind of, like, iconic players for that franchise. But at the same time, it's, like, it's also kind of cool to see big name players like move around and, and see how that switches the power dynamics in the league. And, and um, so there's a lot of like interesting things to having those players being able to move around and, and jump from team to team too. So, um, but yeah, I, I think is like there, there is there, it feels like there's something there in terms of a replacement for the franchise tag that could maybe find like some sort of middle ground there. 
And, and you know what would happen at this point. I mean, at this point, it would really be a quarterback rule. Right. Like it, it would be a yeah. way to pay quarterbacks more money and get a discount off the cap is what it would become. And and so if you draft a court, if you draft Patrick Mahomes, it allows you to pay him an extra hundred million and not have a count against the cap. It's really what what it would turn into. Yeah. The, do you think that the, that we should get to the point where you have basically a quarterback cap and an everyone else cap? Oh man, I mean, uh, I don't know. I I haven't thought enough about it to to know like to to be all comfortable right, maybe, with all the ramifications. But uh, maybe like, we'll talk about obviously it later, but... quarterbacks are are immensely valuable compared to every other position. Like they deserve yeah. more money than they are getting now, which is already absurd. So yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. But all right, let's get to some quick hits about the game because overall, while it was a boring game, it was still fun to watch Terrell Owens dunk on some mofos. Dude, the play where the fucking uh, corner bounces off of Owens in the first quarter, I just like, I was like, okay, I know how this is going to go. It's like, it just, Owens catches a, a, a basically, I think it was an out route. Oh no, it was a drag. And he's basically running, takes a couple steps, corner hits him. And it's just a bad day for the corner. Bad, bad day. When you go up and you hit Terrell Owens, who is a chiseled at this point, 235 pounds, running at Mack truck speed, it's not going to end well for that guy. Uh, and and it was just, oh, man, it was it was so much fun. But um, there were parts of the game that were super duper fun, even if the Bears were basically a, a paper tiger. Um, but there were still some interesting tidbits about the game. And we start with Cade McNown. Where did Cade McNown end up? You look at his performance in this game and you think to yourself, I don't know, Enterprise Rent-A-Car? Selling insurance? And he ended up with the San Francisco 49ers because he was the 12th pick in the draft. He was traded to Miami for a collection of conditional picks. And then he was traded from Miami to the 49ers for a conditional, I believe, seventh round pick. And that's where he ended his career before his rights were eventually snatched up by a Canadian team uh, but I don't think he ever played for them. Um, Cade McNown, one of the toolsy quarterbacks that <laughs> it, didn't turn out to much of anything. Yeah, he, he was fighting with uh, Giovanni Carmazzi and Tim Rattay to back up Jeff Garcia. Dear God. Uh, in this game, his line, he was 9 for 29 for 73 yards and a pick. It was it, bad. And it, it was, was real bad. It was maybe even worse. Watching it was worse than those numbers. Like, it was not good. He made Drew Locke look good. Like, you, you put Drew Locke against McNown at this point, and you're like, shit, yeah, I'll take Locke. Dude, I I mean, that's a, like, not to go on a, another complete tangent here. It's supposed to be quick hits, but, uh, I mean, it's a, it's an interesting question that how many, like, shitty quarterbacks in today's game could go back to 2000 and just be monsters. Like, maybe Drew Locke is a Hall of Famer if he played his career when Cade McNown did. Yeah, I do think that more players could go back and and be good than players could um, kind of move forward. Oh, yeah, I think Steve, very Steve Young would go and do well in today's game. I think like the like the running quarterbacks, basically like Randall Cunningham, I think would do well. <laughs> um, you know, but I don't know that a lot of quarterbacks would do well in in today's game. But yeah, that's that's an interesting discussion. Um, the Niners in this game, the the broadcast team, because again, again, this basically has become a John Madden podcast, but um, the the broadcast team talked about how the Niners have scored in 369 games to date for the game against the Bears. That streak 
of of games in which the Niners have scored at least a point extended ultimately to 420 games. They scored in every game from 1977 until 2004 when that streak was broken against Seattle under Dennis Erickson, whom I will never forgive for that. I think, honestly, there are lots of reasons to dislike Dennis Erickson and his tenure in San Francisco, but the single reason that I completely abhor Dennis Erickson is because he cost the Niners perhaps the longest and best streak in their history of that scoring streak. I fucking hate him for it. Hate's a strong word. That's That's got to be... So knowing those years, that's got to be a regular season only number. So I bet it was even high. Cause I don't, I don't think they got shut out during any playoff, playoff game. games um, during that period. So I bet the, yeah. if you include all games, like I bet that the streaks even longer than that, but yeah, it's, it's a long streak. And I was very mad when they did not score. Cause they actually tried to kick a field goal, like a 46 yard field goal. And either it went wide, right. Or it was blocked or something. I don't know, man. I mean, went out with a bang. They lost 34 to nothing. 34 to 0 against the Mike Holmgren, Sean Alexander, I think led Seattle Seahawks. Um, the there were a few 49ers adjacent players in this game that I thought were interesting. First up, RW McQuarters. Former 49ers first round pick. Uh, he ended up having a play or two against the Niners in this game. And it just reminded me that the Niners for a long, long time, because RW McCordes actually went on to have a, a fairly decent career in the NFL, all with the Bears, not with the Niners. Um, the Niners have had a problem drafting cornerbacks for some time. Like they basically made their deal with the devil when it came to the one draft where I think they drafted uh, basically all of their Hall of Fame and or great corners. And since then, like who has been the most consequential 49ers defensive backfield draft pick. Oh, um, it's God. I don't know. Like, I mean, you're talking about like Terrell Brown who started in the super bowl fifth rounder. Yeah. Fifth rounder. Right. You're talking about Chris Culliver who was a third rounder, maybe Jimmy Ward. (laughs) I mean, Jimmy Ward honestly was the, the, the person who came to mind, um, first as I'm like struggling to bring up, uh, their draft history here. Yeah. I mean, it's look, it's been a while. And like, yeah, I mean, RW McCorders, he was only there for two seasons too. Right. Yeah. So like this was actually his first season after leaving the 49ers in, in this game. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they got the only player from, uh, you know, the, the all time Miami defense and Mike Rump that fucking sucked in the NFL. Um, it has not Never been a good run. I mean, I guess they had Deshaun Goldson. Okay, that's that's a that's oh a solid yeah one. yeah yeah okay yeah Deshaun Goldson. There you go. In two thousand, that was a two thousand seven. Yeah, no, that's an another interesting question. But the other player was another Niner that actually this was his pre Niner days. That's Tony Parrish. In two thousand two. Yeah. He ends up becoming a 49er and actually was a pretty good role player. The reason that I remember Tony Parrish is because his uh, shoulder or elbow kept getting dislocated. Something kept happening with his arm. And so he was basically the OG J.J. Watt. You know, J.J. Watt has that brace on his arm. Tony Parrish had that. that brace all of the time because of whatever was happening with his arm. So he was, I mean, he was awesome. I love Tony Parrish. He was a strong safety um, and he just looked like a hard hitter because of that brace on his arm. And he was, 
Um, he, he was a good, a good safety, I think, for a few years there for the 49ers. Um, but lastly, in terms of the quick hits, we get to really just some fast-ass linebackers. Brian Urlacher uh, was in his rookie year. And there were a couple plays where he's running down Charlie Garner. And he is behind the play, and he is making up ground. And it's like, you, you are fast. Yeah. That, that barbed wire tattoo was not holding you back on the football field. Maybe in your dating life, but not uh, assuredly on the football field. And then the other is Julian Peterson. He ran down Eddie Kennison. I mean, he is gaining ground on a wide receiver and ends up tripping him up and tackling him. And it's just like, holy shit. Like, I know we talked about it last podcast, so I won't dwell on it too much here, but Julian Peterson, another player that was just a little too early, man. Just a little too early. Yeah, absolutely. Would love, love to see him play now. But yeah, I think that that uh, that about wraps up our look back to the year 2000. Uh, it was a, a fun game. Owens beasting on people. Jerry Rice getting real mad. And yeah, it is, it was, it, was it is worth going and finding that game and just watching because, uh, so again, this is, is very clearly from the beginning, like the Jerry Rice broadcast, right? Every, uh, like time they come back from commercial, they're showing like Jerry Rice stats and shit like that. They're, they're going to the stands to look at Jerry Rice signs between every break and play. Like every single thing is like focused on rice. And so at some point, like Owens is racking up all these receptions and they're just after every one of them, you see a little bit of Owens, but then they just, the camera goes to rice to see his reaction. And like by the fourth quarter, I mean, dude is visibly pissed. Like it's Ray, it's Ray Brown basically like patting him on the shoulders <laughs> like, and saying, hey, take it easy. My guy. It's okay. It's okay. And yeah, I actually, in my notes, I said, is the last reception that Jerry rice has at home ever a shit pass that was tipped that he catches for negative one yards. And then it turns out that they, at the end of the game, send in the the backup quarterback and the kneel down crew. And then they do that for a play and then send in the regular offense and run a fucking seam to rice for one more pass and then end up kneeling the game out. Oh fuck. Like, I didn't it was, even see it. I turned the game off at that b- before we got to Oh that dude, point. so much happens at the very end. They it's like, you know, uh is Jeff Garcia going to play? No, the backup quarterback no. So the backup quarterback goes in. They, I think they either they call timeout or they kneel or something and then they come back and throw a long pass. It's it's absurd. But the this is one game that actually I think in the last game we linked to a YouTube viewing of the game because it was a better quality than we had in in our archives. But this is a game I could not find on YouTube. And so if you want to watch the game, I actually have it up on our Google Drive. So I will post a a link to the game in the show notes. It is two halves. It's two AVI files Um, on a Mac. Use VLC to watch it uh, on a PC. I don't know, man. Get a Mac. Um, But you you download it, watch it, um, and enjoy it. It's broadcast, commercials cut out, um, and enjoy just a little little trip back to 2000. But I figure we'll add that because I, I don't know that there is, unless you have the game, another way that i could find based on youtube to watch the game so enjoy we will we will upload this game um i'll put it on the patreon for sure um and uh and yeah there we go i think that uh, that about does it for this week's edition of the better rivals podcast uh david anything else you got for them love island notes food notes whiskey <laughs> notes beer notes, notes. <laughs> no love island notes um no, man, I'm, I'm excited. I mean, we're chilly. like we were looking at the calendar a little bit and, and we've got real football coming up here in I know. a matter of weeks. I mean, Hall of Fame game by the time you're listening to this, likely uh, two weeks from now. And, and so 
Uh, 49ers will be starting their preseason schedule the, the following week. And, and so, yeah, we're going to be back in ca- to kind of the normal swing of things here pretty quick. Yeah, it's almost back. Uh, the offseason is done. We're going to start with some scheme month stuff here very, very soon. Um, so, yeah, find me on the Twitters at Better Rivals. David, tell them about the Patreon. Patreon.com slash Better Rivals. Um, go there, buy us a beer. Like I said, we're, we're about to get in into the regular season kind of swing of things. And so, that's going to mean you know more regular videos stuff from real game action that's happening right now so uh it, it's a very good time to go ahead and hop on board so again patreon.com slash better rivals thanks again for tuning in and as always go niners <laughs>